Across the United States, Indigenous families are searching for their loved ones. For closure. We would tell each other, what, what do you think she said? And what was her last words, you know? Did she cry for help or did she pray? The missing and murder Indigenous women. Hauka, this is Mary. Ketanani, this is Sylvia. And, and welcome, welcome to the, the Native, Native Sisters, Sisters Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back. Hello. We took a little break and had a good Thanksgiving. Yeah. Sylvie went to Orville. Yeah, I went to, I went out of town for the weekend to go see my family in Northern California. It was fun. But also dealing with some other stuff, so Yeah, some family stuff. Um, we have a guest here today. You wanna introduce yourself? <laughs> good morning. My name is Leilani Thompson. Hi, and Leilani is the mother of Bear Diaz, and Bear went missing in August of 2015. Um, Leilani and Bear, they're from the Barona Reservation in San Diego County, and she's going to, we're going to ask some questions, and she's going to give us some input in her, her story. Yeah, so... Um... We're going to just kind of start off not with the story, but talk about Bear um, as a person first and then tell his story. Um, so the first thing we're going to ask is, um, how was Bear as a child? Like, how was he growing up? You know, these are a good, good baby. <laughs> yeah, you know, we want to know, you know, him as a person. We know he's a missing person, but we also want to know him as the, a, a person and how he was. Right. Mm-hmm. When when you first mentioned that right now, um, the first thought that I had was uh, he was crawling by two months and running by nine. Oh, wow. Um, he was a boy on the go. He had an older sister and um, wanted to do everything she was doing. So he found his way to get to what he wanted. But at um, even six months old, he couldn't sit up yet. But he could get to what he wanted. And then he would throw a fit and, and <laughs> just scream because he couldn't figure out what to do with what he wanted, but he got there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, other than that, he he just loved to be involved in everything. He uh, he was the one who lined up all the little cars in the row. Um, everything had to be off in a certain switch lineup, you know, switches next to each other had to be all <laughs> facing the same direction. Um, pretty organized and, and together. With most of his um, belongings and such, he he was a good kid. He liked to um, he liked to ride bikes. He took off his own training wheels by himself <laughs> and just started riding at the age of three. Oh, wow. and, and you know, he he just always figured out how to do everything on his own. Um, he was a surfer. He played guitar. He um, of course, skateboarded and, and you know all kinds of physical things, active things. Um, that was just who he was, the self-taught boy. What what made him uh, pick up the guitar? Did he have uh, music runs in the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in a household of, of music. My dad plays guitar. My dad's Beaver Coro from Barona. He plays at some funerals. And um, my uncle Pat Coro, he's involved in the Native community with language and such. Um, anyways, 
family gatherings, the guitar got passed around, almost everybody played. Yeah. And so I think um, just knowing that part of it, it's just inborn in him yeah. to, to pick up a guitar. We also come from a really heavy music family. Yeah. Like all of our... Our grandparents. Our grandparents play guitar. Right. And parents, like, that's what they did. They all like to sing. <laughs> we would, I remember as a kid, we... Growing up, um, my parents lived on, we called it the ranch. It was a piece of property way out in the mountains, mm-hmm. so there's no power. Um, the water came in, piped in from the creek. It was just a piece of property out, literally in the middle of the mountains. And um, my grandpa would hook up his amp to the car battery to play the guitar. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and it was either that or he would watch football with the TV <laughs> with the car battery. Oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> but music, they would, you know, clean, clear out all the furniture out of their living room and right. people Everybody would come, come over. over. Yeah. Right. That was that was our childhood. Yeah. Recorded and cassettes. On yeah, the they had it on, on cassettes. Yeah. Cord. Right. <laughs> and then Bear's stepdad plays the, the keyboard and used to play the guitar and then his boys also played guitar. So two of the boys were in our home when Bear was growing up and I, you know, just... Did they teach him to play guitar? Um, I don't know if they actually taught him, taught him. Like I said, he just kind of picked things up. So they just played together? They, 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 yeah, okay. when we would get everybody together after the older boys moved out, um, it was always a jam session. So <laughs> Don breaks out the keyboard, breaks out the microphones, everybody's got something, and they would start going. So there's photos of um, Bear jamming with the boys and, oh, and Don yeah. and stuff. So yeah, That's awesome. That is awesome. I hope my kids are... Musical. They love music. They just they're not into instruments yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you don't buy them because they're not loud. <laughs> they no. too loud. She's all. We don't need no drums. <laughs> uh, I have a drum set in the garage. It's just packed away. <laughs> too cute. <laughs> I have four kids and they're like nine and under. Nice. Yeah. So they're still wild. They're, they're still fun. <laughs> they're yeah, wild. they're fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how many siblings does Spare have? Mm, that's a good question. Okay, so um, I have three. Okay, so it was Miranda, Bear, and Skye. And then um, my first marriage, there's at least five others. And then my current marriage, there's another five. Oh, wow. So extended family, prayed over 13 is what I usually say. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, yeah, I, I birthed three and I prayed over 13. Wow. <laughs> wow, that's cool. Yeah, that is big family yes um and when was bear diagnosed with uh, type 1 diabetes the age of six um we used to live in riverside county and um while we were out there we had a home built in verona and like a month after we moved here maybe two months after we moved here he was diagnosed so I think in his little boy mind, he equated being sick to moving back to the res. Mm. And so when he was able to uh, move out, because he moved out as fast as he could, as soon as he got graduated high school, he was gone. Um, he, he may have equated freedom, you know, because I asked him, why do you want to move to El Cajon? And his answer was along the lines of, I can jump on a skateboard. And I can go get a burger. You know, everything, yeah. everything would be close. His friends would be close. If he wanted to just go cruising, he could do that easily. You know, living up on the hills a little different. Yeah. And um, I think that he hoped that moving off the reservation 
and fighting his independence would also kind of erase that. But diabetes doesn't go away. So, you know, that, that followed him, and he didn't take very good care of himself with the insulin and um, such. The doctors always told me, um, let him figure it out. He's got to figure it out. And so his sugars would be high. His A1C at one point was 16, I want to say. Um, average was 11 to 14. Um, a normal person is, I think, 6. Yeah. I think that's what it is. Um, so... He, he didn't take very good care of the insulin. He usually just took insulin as he felt he needed it instead of testing his sugar, calculating how much he needed, you know, mm -hmm. calculating his, his carbohydrates and all that stuff. That wasn't anything he wanted to mess with, really. He just did the insulin as he needed it. And uh, by the time he went missing, he had neuropathy. He had wounds on the bottom of his feet. He was losing his eyesight. Um... He had other health issues that were never like said, this is a side effect from diabetes, but um, he had lost 50 pounds within the year or two prior to him going missing, um, not being able to eat and such. So it, it messes with your digestive system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We have a, a cousin who that happened to where like he felt like he couldn't eat anymore and then... Mm -hmm. It, I guess it slows down your digestive system. So, so I, I'm wondering what we kind of discovered like shortly before he went missing and we thought this was going to be the answer. Um, he went to a chiropractor and she did the x-rays and said that his spine was twisted and the nerves that were being affected were those for digestion mm -hmm. and you know that sort of thing. So she yeah. would she would literally correct his spine and he would just scarf down food uh -huh. and he would eat, eat, eat all day long. And then the next day, you know, a little bit less, a little bit less. And then like every three or four days, he would go back to have that adjustment again. And same thing, start eating again. Yeah. So th this is a cycle that we were hoping that eventually once it happened enough that his, his spine would quit twisting back yeah. to the spot that it's used to. And he would then gain the weight and regain health in a sense and, mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. When he went missing, he was 110 pounds, and he was five foot ten. Oh, wow. um, two weeks before, he was in a wheelchair. Uh, he physically wasn't able to get around. He was clumsy on the, the crutches. Kind of shocked me, considering how easy <laughs> everything else came to him. But um, that's the state that he physically was in in August yeah. of 2015. Mm -hmm. So he had a lot of health issues. Yes. How was it when he was a kid with uh, type 1 diabetes and he would just be around other kids who didn't have any restrictions? He was just it tough? Yeah, it was hard. He, he wanted to just be normal because in his eyes he wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, when he was first diagnosed, we didn't know anybody else mm -hmm. with type 1 diabetes. Things would happen at the school. One time he wasn't at the rec center when I went to pick him up at, in in. So then you're kind of like, well, what happened to him? Where is he? And they found him asleep in the classroom. So he must have fallen asleep before school let out. And the teacher walked past him. He was in a beanbag in a corner. And the teacher must have walked past him. And so here I am a couple hours after school got out, and we're searching the school oh for gosh. him, wow. you know. And, and so certain little things like that might happen. Um, he didn't like people to know so he wouldn't check his sugar in front of anybody he always wanted to be private about it mm -hmm. no injections unless you know he was by himself type of thing 
Is this um, type 1 diabetes genetic? Is it run in the family or you don't have other people in your family? His father's family has type 2 diabetes. Very, very Which is different, right? It is. Um, so, like when he was diagnosed, um, I kind of beat myself up thinking it was something I had done. But the doctors explained to me that his body was predisposed to, to turn diabetic. Um mm-hmm. He had a, a tooth infection, is what brought it on. The infection spurred the autoimmune issue okay. that that wound up like shutting down his pancreas. Wow, that's crazy to think about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but but the doctor said that his body was already programmed, and he would have become di- it later on. Mm-hmm. on it could have happened at any point in his life. It just happened to be when he was six. Yeah, yeah. He was still little. Mm. Yeah. So, um, in 2015, Bear lived in El Cajon, um, which is in San Diego County. What and they talk about him being like going to the hookah lounge. Where's the hookah lounge at? Like, is it in the East? hookah lounge was on Broadway, which was about a mile from his home. Um, the the roommates and such. One of them was the owner. The others worked there. The rest of them hung oh, out okay. there. Um, it was some place that he would go to escape, in a sense. Um, I know that friends that we've spoken to since then said that you know he usually just kind of sat in the corner and you know observed, in a sense. <laughs> um, but that was just some place that he trying to fit in. I think. How did he end up going there? Like he knew friends that go there, or who just? I, I think that him and some friends did that. Yeah. Um, so when Bearverse was um, buying his house, he had a set of roommates from school that yeah. he was going to have, and they even came for the inspection, and I got to hang out with them, and you know, nice bunch of kids. Mm-hmm. But then, however long that I don't even know what it's called, we actually get the keys. It's like thirty days or whatever. Yeah, the escrow. Yeah. By the time that happened, he had a whole different set of people move in. And it I wasn't any of the people that went with you? It wasn't any wow. of the ones that were from school. Hmm. And so I don't know how that came about. And you didn't want to pressure the questions. <laughs> well, he, he was an adult. He was an adult, yeah. you know, yeah. let, trying to let him have his space. <clears throat> mm-hmm. yeah. You know, one thing that I would suggest to any parent is always stay plugged in, always know who your f- kids' friends are, um, what they do for a living, what kind of people are they. These are things that you need to know, even if you kind of know it on the sly. But to me, I was in and out of that house all the time, and, you know, some of them would jump up and give me a hug when I walked in, and... You know, I, I hung out there quite a bit. So. Yeah. Did they help him, like, with his insulin or help him if he needed help with his <clears throat> he, he, had, he had a couple of them. Um, one of the gentlemen would, like, being hookah people, they didn't get home till after 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. And so nights that I spent the night, you know, the one guy would come in and, hey, do you want me to go to Starbucks for you? Do you need anything? Did you eat? You know, very caring in a sense yeah mm-hmm. um but the night that bear went missing he says he didn't go in the room and he said that he thought he was sleeping clear until three or four o'clock the next day when i went he said oh isn't he asleep and i was like no he's not even in the room yeah so 
it's, no, it's no, no, hard to judge uh, since you didn't know them really well, but you knew of them, right? Yeah, they were there for a year, year and a half oh, okay. or something. So, you know, over the time, I, I knew a few of them. I wouldn't say I knew all of them. And then people were always there um, kind of camping out on the couch. So did that concern you before he went missing? Did you think, like, no. you know, this is a bad thing? No, you just thought, like, they're just... I, I knew I knew the bear um, was pulling himself away from that kind of atmosphere, I think. Um, he spent more time in his bedroom, mm-hmm. just kind of shut in there. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of did whatever they did throughout the house. So was he the kind of guy that, like, wanted people around but didn't have to be right in front of them? Yeah. He, like, he, 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 did, he yeah. felt comfort in somebody being in the living room. I think so. Room. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. I feel safer. Mm-hmm. Kind of in a sense. Yeah. 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 So, um, do you want to do the story now? Do you want to tell the story of what happened that day? The night what, before? Or the night before, I guess you can say. Where do you usually start? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> my son went missing March or August. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we've seen, we've seen like, you know, the dispute yeah. episode, we've, we've listened to the, the interview that you did. Right. Um, so, so, so basically, um, you know the fact that he uh, wasn't well physically. Yeah, we've um, talked about yeah. his health issues. So um, the day that he went missing, um, my daughter-in-law's father had passed away and I was at his funeral. And uh, we had family in town. And so Bear told me to come pick him up so that he could hang out with Jesse, which is his brother, um, who lives out of town. And we were hanging out at the pool at the hotel. He um, was very bothered by the noise the children were making. Sorry. Um, He was agitated. The kids are screaming in the pool. Yeah. I asked him to go check his sugar, so he went to the bathroom with his backpack, and he came back, and then we sat there for a little bit, and and he just kind of yelled abruptly, just take me home. And so, okay, fine, you know, I was looking forward to having an evening, maybe doing dinner or whatever. Um, So I went ahead and drove him back down into El Cajon, and... He and I had a conversation, and my end of the conversation was more along the lines of, we need to find something for you to do. Whether you go to school and I take classes with you, or I sit in the car, it doesn't matter. You need to find something that you love doing, something that you want to learn about. You'll, in turn, get to meet people with like interests and that sort of thing. Um health issues you know the, the conversation went on and on and he finally just yells back at me mom you'll never understand and so that was kind of like okay fine you know why don't you go take a shower and relax I'm gonna go home and so you know things got a little loud I would say you know with him and I just trying to talk over each other we weren't yelling because we were mad or whatever just trying to be heard I think. Yeah. Um, so I left um, Typical, every time I left, fix the curtains so that everything lined up a certain way, lock his bedroom door, check the other doors to make sure they're locked, 
you know, this was routine. I did this every night, every time I left. And so it was no big deal to do it all again. Locked myself out of the house and I left. When I um, came back the next afternoon, because we went to church the next morning and tried to call him about lunch. He didn't answer. So we went ahead and went to lunch texting him, calling him, what do you want for lunch? I'll bring it to you. He was not answering. When I got back to the house, um, there was one of the roommates cleaning in the kitchen. He was doing dishes. So I let myself into Bear's room, used the key. It was locked. And he's not in the bed. The bed is stripped. The TV's missing. Um, I start kind of like, what happened? I go back in and ask the roommate, and he doesn't know anything so he starts helping me look through the house we look in the backyard we look in you know I, I go to open the bathroom door and the bathroom door won't open so my first thought is he's collapsed behind the door once we got the door open um, it was his knee scooter he had the wounds on his feet he had just graduated out of the wheelchair and was using a knee scooter through the house which we even built a ramp from his bathroom to the bed and you know everything would be easy access for him and um, anyway the knee scooter was in the bathroom and so he wasn't there we searched all the rooms we searched outside don't know what else to do so we went ahead and I left um, the next day still trying to get a hold of him thinking somebody's just picked him up really bothered by why would he take the TV you know, why would he take his sheets and his comforter, but not his favorite pillow or his favorite blanket? Mm -hmm. Later discovered that his eyeglasses were sitting on the nightstand and his toothbrush was still in the bathroom. And so, like I said, he was very particular about how he went about life. Everything had its place and he was very organized. And so I think that um, all of those little things should have been more of a red flag, but in my head and in my heart, I was like, he's just going to show up at powwow. Powwow was going to be the next weekend. And so he'll just show up at powwow. Everything will be fine. Um, he didn't. And so when he didn't, that's when I kind of pursued the police, trying to get them involved. One agency doesn't talk to another. That's a problem that should be rectified. Um, mm -hmm. I originally started in Lakeside because I lived in Lakeside and I went to the sheriff there and the lady took down my information and his information and I had stated that he was basically disabled. Mm -hmm. You know, he couldn't get around, he couldn't drive, he could barely walk and, you know, she blatantly says he's not disabled, he's an adult and if he wanted to take a vacation or walk away for a little while, he has every right to. And she had been taking notes and she set it aside and she says... I'll put this in the computer later. And so you're like, well, now what? You know? And this is the week, a week after. <clears throat> yeah, this is like, a, you know, it, it may have been that next couple days, you know, because I remember there was the doctor's appointments. I sat outside of, um, off in the distance, hoping somebody would just drive him to his uh, foot doctor, his um, chiropractor. He had a diabetes appointment. These these appointments didn't get met. You know, I sat in the back waiting to see who was going to pull in to drop him off. And, um, and then I went in and asked, did he call? You know, did he change his appointment? Yeah. But they never heard from him. So 
Anyhow, um, from Lakeside, then we went to El Cajon. No, we went to Santee. Um, Santee, they told me to go to El Cajon. El Cajon, they took down the information, but nothing was really done for a few weeks. And then when they finally did a wellness check, they went in and they kind of checked out the bedroom. The roommates were there. They talked with them a little bit. And that was kind of the end of it. Um, we eventually hired a private investigator to just kind of snoop around and such. And she, um, she did really good with the interviews, I felt. I listened to some of them, and um, she got a lot of information, I felt. But it wasn't enough to move forward with any court cases or arrests or anything like that. Um, as time went on, we brought in another investigator, and you know he's been with us since. But still today, yeah, yeah. He. <clears throat> so why did you feel like you needed a private investigator instead of just using law enforcement? I felt like the law enforcement were not there for us. Yeah. At one point. Um, San Diego did a find the missing event. So the purpose of this event was to bring in families of missing people and make sure that they had DNA samples, that they had all the information. Because, you know, if they went missing prior to a certain date, there may not have been the ability, the technology, or even the databases mm -hmm. to put everything together. So I think that their hope for that was to pull in these families of missing people from years ago to plug them in. Um, some people may not have kept in touch to say, oh, well, we moved, and this is how you contact us now if anything ever happens. Oh, okay. So I think that that was the purpose of this. But me, my mom, and a friend of mine, we went to this event, and we, um, we did find out that El Cajon PD did put all of his information in all the databases. Um, the DNA was on file. My ex-husband had even gone in and gave a sample, so that in itself was, you know, like, oh, thank you, you know. Um, there was a lot of um, things that we felt confident about El Cajon PD did accomplish, but when it came time to, okay, now you're going to go in, you're going to talk to an investigator, and you're going to let them know your story so they can possibly help plug you into the proper resources. Mm -hmm. And we walk into, like, this gymnasium, and there's literally officers at tables all over. Now, they expected a huge turnout, I think. There was only three families that showed up. We were one of them. And so she takes us directly to the investigator through El Cajon PD, who had been the guy that kind of was all along with the theory that your son left the house with his friends and you'll never know what happened. And I heard that from him many, many times. So we're walking towards him, and she's kind of gesturing, this is who you're going to talk to. And we're like, the room's full of officers. We want to talk to somebody else. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so she, um, she let us know that it was his jurisdiction, and he was the gentleman we needed to talk to. And, you know, some things were said that I really uh, was offended by. One thing being, he said that, um, I know where your son is. <laughs> And um, he's buried in Barona, and you're never going to know where he is because your people won't work with our people. Oh, and wow. and so that was kind of like, okay. Um, <laughs> that makes me mad. Yeah. yeah. So mad. 
Um, Who is this guy? Re- yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who is this guy? Reiterating that I'm never going to find answers. Um, so we stopped a sheriff um, in the lobby when we were grabbing our lunch at that event. And he said the same thing. You can't talk to me about the case. You need to talk to El Cajon PD. And so the jurisdiction thing is, is, is a big deal. And when you buy a home, you don't think to look at the track record for missing persons or Mm -hmm. um, even homicides or anything like that with your police department of the town you're moving into. You know, that's not something that... never think about it. People (laughs) might look up schools. People might look up where am I located compared to shopping, you know, but nobody thinks to look up. What's your track record for your police department? Which is really important. I would, I know yeah. knowing what I know now. Yes, I about it so. just right now. I'm like, wow, that's something you need to do. Right. Especially for Native people, because we're so um, overlooked with our missing Indigenous people. Right. With the police department and the them even putting their information in their database. Right. And it's like a huge issue. Yeah, I heard um, on another interview that you did where somebody said you know you got to trust the police you're you're you've been told to trust the police Mm -hmm. i don't i've never i've called the police before and they don't show up right here in campo and so you know and and even like growing up we're like no the police don't help you even when we lived off the reservation you they don't come and help you right so we've always been taught you, you figure it out you know if you have an issue you try and figure it out find somebody who's going to help you and then you know if the police get involved then that's on them <laughs> like i've never yeah. been taught to call the police and they yeah. figure it out for you yeah so yeah. but i mean maybe some people don't know that maybe people think that the police are going to help you and that they what they do is the only thing that is going to happen in the situation but that's just not right true. Well, aside from the fact that I I felt like being Native was a hindrance to them, um, they're understaffed. Mm -hmm. Their department isn't just missing persons or homicide or crimes and violence. It's all one department. And so, therefore, the few people that they do have on staff are pulled between this case, that case, and the other case. Mm -hmm. Now, what they did say is that the case would never be closed and that the book is always on the desk. These are good things to know, but you know, we still need answers, and mm-hmm. I believe there's a handful of people out there that do know the answers to what happened that night, and hopefully one of them will make the phone call, yeah. you know, call in pursuit and, and let them know what you know or what you think or what you've heard or what you feel. Yeah. Or they'll tell somebody who's going to tell somebody mm-hmm. who's going to call that number. Right. Because you know, that information gets brought to the sheriffs. I've always felt like the sheriff has been more beneficial to us than the actual police department. So, you know, I don't know if that's the case in every situation, but I felt like any time that I had a conversation with the sheriff's office that I would at least get some sort of answer or, you know, an acknowledgement. Yeah. yeah. You know, instead of the brush off. Um, in 2016, we had a new sergeant come in, and he's the one who opened the doors for Investigation Discovery to do the, the episode that they did on Bear. Um, that was all because of him. So I know that 
the police department has good apples, but we just happened to find the bad apple when we started. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And at this but point, that was crucial time, right? There. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, at, at this point, where to the point where I don't know who my sergeant is, I don't know who my detectives are. You know, my PI does. I don't want to know anything until I have to know is the way I look at it. Um, if something comes up, then go ahead and share with me. But otherwise, all of this, oh, hey, I checked in and um, the book's still on their desk. Yeah. I don't need to know that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You already knew that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so how, um, you mentioned that the, that you did a, at least one search. How many searches were done? How did that go? We searched every weekend for two years. Well, I mean, like a huge search with a bunch of people. We probably did that for like the first year. Wow. wow. Yeah. And we searched Barona a couple times. We just searched um, Mesa Grande, Santa Isabel. Um, we went down to Otay. We were out here in Campo, um, the 94. Um, any place that had bridges or drops or cliffs, we searched Green Valley, we searched Ramona and beyond. What made you look in those places and why do you say bridges and drops? Like what made you, what is If anything to happened, my theory is <laughs> whoever did this would stick to something they knew. Yes. Now, they may not have killed before. They may not have found a dead body before. You know, I don't know what happened, if it was an accident or if it was on purpose. But I do know that if you're going to try to hide something, you're going to go to a location you're used to, a location you're familiar with at least, and you're going to do whatever you're going to do. So the 8 freeway, I think, is was the big key, easy access to nothing. Yeah. You know, open terrain... No way, nobody's out here in the middle of the night. Off of the highway. Yeah, yeah. So that that was kind of that search. We searched all up and down Wildcat Canyon, which leads to Barona and beyond, um, up the 67, going towards Poway. We, you know, any anything that we could think of that um, might lead us to to anything. You know, I have a friend. Her name's Tita. She. Probably walked a thousand miles that first two years and she was my boots on the ground she was the one who was willing to get dirty for me she would um, just say pull over and we could be on the 8 freeway right here and she would get out and she would walk and she'd be looking over the edge and sometimes she'd climb over the edge and go down and, and to the ravine or whatever to double check on something um, we did that <laughs> all the time it wasn't just on the weekends it was anytime she was available let's go for a drive yeah. and she would just go walk and, and looking over the edges and, and whatever else um, she she at one point we were I want to say Dulzora mm -hmm. um, in that area we had pulled over and she was like hold on pull over so I went ahead and I pulled over and she goes down into the little area the clearing and she says, call the sheriff. And I was like, oh, shoot, okay. So call the sheriff, called my PI. They both arrived about the same time. Um, she took them down. She says, you don't want to go down there. So she takes them down. And literally, there was a backpack. There was a sweater. And there was like a spinal column with the pelvis attached, oh, just wow. the bones. 
And, you know, this is obviously a ways down the line. So at that point, anything could have, you yeah, know, you know yeah, what, what are we looking for? We're looking for something. Um, so anyhow, the, the sheriff explained to her how to know that the pelvis was that of a deer. And so most likely it was um, some illegals were up in that area. They left their sweater and backpack accidentally and they ate deer for dinner. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and, and so, you know, just there was a lot of things. Um, she would open up trash bags. Trash bags were tossed over the side. All the time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of the time she would say that it would be like a dead animal inside. And, you know, so this was just something that she was willing to do for me. Yeah. You know, yeah. so. I know. I know we've uh, we've talked about like, I don't know why, but for some reason. Well, let me ask you first. How I on the disappeared episode it talks about a ping on a cell tower in San Isabel. Yes. In Verona, right? Yes. Or Ramona or Verona, somewhere out yeah. there. How did they find that information out? Was that something that law enforcement did or was that your private That was law enforcement. They um it took them I wanna say seven weeks or longer to actually get the records from Verizon. But Verizon gave them the information. They wouldn't allow me to get any information. But the police stated that the phone had traveled through Barona, and it wasn't a phone activity as in somebody's on the phone um, or a call came in or a call went out or anything like that. It was just an acknowledgement. The phone acknowledged the tower as it was passing through. So it, um, I don't remember time specifically, but basically like one something in the morning, it was in Barona. And then 20 minutes later, it's off a tower in San Isabel. So they say that the it's like a 12-mile radius from the tower do, for do the you know signal to reach. Is? Yes. And you guys searched all the We area. searched up there. The police um, search and rescue took up helicopters and crew and looking for the phone. Maybe mm-hmm. it was tossed or something, but um, we didn't find it. Yeah, like... I drive through the mountains all the time. Like mm-hmm. when I go, like I have friends in Paula, mm-hmm. I go the mountains. I don't go the freeway. Right. <laughs> so I drive through San Isabel, Julian, mm-hmm. and for some reason, I always think like you know, I always think of bear. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, this San is the last spot right here, and I just kind of try to feel like, is he here? Is he not here? I feel like he's up there somewhere, and that's kind of like. We've mm-hmm. talked about it before, and us and one of my other friends and my cousin were like, let's just go up there and just drive and kind of see how we feel about it, you know? Please do. Yeah, <laughs> we will, and I, we've planned on doing it, and, you know, we've got a lot of stuff going on right now, but we're going to do it, and, I mean, I feel like other people feel the same way, like, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I don't know, but I, I just met you today for the first time, but I feel, like, really connected somehow. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought about this case, and I remember seeing the sign when I was driving on the 67, or I see, I passed the, his house. I actually drove by his house recently. Mm-hmm. I didn't know, you know, the address or anything. I just knew it was on Joey Lane, so we just drove around, and I'm like, wow, you know? I feel it's, like, I mean, this is just, um, I guess, just my thoughts that whoever he left with was somebody that he knew, because... Mm-hmm. That neighborhood, everybody's really close together. There's right. a lot of people that live there. If he was, like, against his will, like, people... I mean, I don't know. I right. Like somebody would have seen something. So, yeah, how... Um, you said you had kind of known some of his friends. So how did you end up, like, 
the roommates, you know, finally saying, hey, you have to go out? Like, was that a hard at getting them out of the house since we, it was kind of a full house? We had them sign a thing. We gave them, like, a 30-day notice. You know, just I didn't want to step on any toes legally. We were trying to enter the court system to be able to get whatever paperwork you need to get that done. Like an eviction? Mm, yeah, well, just the whole conservatorship to where I was the person overseeing all of his property and so on and so forth. Um, but we, we did give them a paper. They signed it. They agreed they would be gone within 30 days. And so they, they did move out. Oh, and, and I that moved out. out. That yeah. worked out good. Yeah. So the his all of his friends, your private investigator interviewed all of the people who I were in the house. I believe she did. I, yeah. Well, yeah. Like I said, there were people just kind of in and out. You know, it was kind of the party house. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, he had a lot of friends. <laughs> so he had a lot of friends and not a lot of them were native friends. That hung out there, right. Yeah. They're like all non-native people. Mostly. There were a few natives. That, yeah, that I would tough. say we're in and out, yeah. But I know that they, you said there's a $50,000 reward, and of that, the family put up 40000 Was like Was that like through donations and just all your family put it all together, and you guys like personally paid for personal investigator and all that? Um, the tribe continued to pay Bear, and all that money is set in an account to oversee his property, protect it, you know, yeah. whatever needs to be done, maintain it. Um, we got clearance from the court to set aside $40,000 for that. And we had already given $10,000 for, you know, the original um, reward information and such with Crime Stoppers. So it combined, it's a total of $50,000. But if anybody can tell me where my son is, yeah, I got $50,000 waiting for you. No questions asked can be anonymous. anonymous it can be anonymous yes. yes and if you have any information you can call 8333-PURSUE if you have any information any little details anything that you might think that is not important it may be important um, any information is helpful if you call that number or you can also go on inpursuittips.com Yes. So, <clears throat> how um, how did you find? I'm sure it's really hard, like to find some kind of closure. But how do you process that, and where do you stand today? You know, six years later. You know, it, I'm sure it's tough to think about, but you have to think about it every day. Right. <laughs> I think that um, the, biggest, the biggest pointers to that answer is he was so sick and his health insurance has never been used. He never attempted to pick up a paycheck that was waiting for him. He and I were so close. We were together all the time. If we weren't together, we were on the phone. I always knew where he was. If he was leaving town, he would tell me, Mom, I'm heading to blah, blah, blah. When he got there, I arrived. When he was coming back home, hey, I'm mm -hmm. heading home. 
There was never that moment that I didn't know where he was until August of 2015. Mm He, very needy in a sense. You know, you can ask any of my friends. He always um, wanted to have me do something, whether it was pick up food or um, when are you coming back or, you know. Mm -hmm. My friends were always like, oh, the phone's ringing. It must be Bear. You know. Kind of joking. (laughs) Right? And so um, I know most moms can't say that they have that relationship with their 20-year-old, but I did. Mm -hmm. And that was taken from me. I had to let him go because if you sit and you just dwell on the the where is he's and and what ifs and all of that, I think I would have gone crazy. And so um, just finding closure and knowing that he's not coming back. You know, like I said, no health insurance usage, no paycheck. And this is a young man who grew up on the reservation for the most part and didn't understand public transit. So that was questions I got early on. What if he just jumped on the bus or called a taxi or an Uber or, you know, he didn't understand to travel like that because if he couldn't drive himself, mom did, you know. And so (laughs) those wouldn't have been thoughts in his head. Um, My first question to everybody was, you know, who's willing to put up with him? Because he was needy, he mm-hmm. was demanding in a sense, and I put up with him, I'm mom, you know, but I don't think anybody would hold him against his will or, you know, anything like that for any prolonged time because, you know, he's going to speak his mind and he's going to let you know and um, that was just the type of person he was. So I just finally had to accept that um, he's not coming home. Mm-hmm. Not in the sense that I get to hug him, laugh with him, yes. you know, joke around with him. But we do want to bring him home and yeah. lay him to rest properly. Which is very important in our culture. Yeah. Yes. You know, we always got to have that traditional resting place for him. Yeah. Or for our families, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and um, for anybody out there that um, maybe dealing with a missing person do you have any advice for them like what they could do to help get through the system a little bit better when it first happens and you don't know anybody who's gone through it before it's hard you got to figure it out as you're going like six months in um somebody gave me a book well we were already six months in that was the important part you know looking for details and this that and the other thing but there is a book out there um I would jump on Facebook. Facebook has so many missing persons communities that you're going to find somebody who's willing to help you create flyers, take down information about the evidence that you may be overlooking because you don't know what you're looking at just yet. Um, Boots on the ground, people to go help organize your searches and, and stuff like that. That's what I always felt like. If anything came of any of this, we learned that. Yeah. We learned how to gather a group of people and take down their information and disperse them out and collect whatever information they brought back to us. Um, I I felt like, if anything, our team was going to be the the sort of team that would go out and actually physically help search. Yeah. I haven't found it within myself to completely plug in. Um, I do reach out to families every once in a while if I feel one way or another about their missing person and such, but um, 
someday I think that that's something that may happen. Um, Olivia Tassa, her son went missing the next day after Bear did, and he went missing from Escondido. She's in the works for doing a drone sort of search. Um, when children go missing, she's trying to get it into legislation and laws made that drones, like drone owners can be notified on an app that, hey, if you're in this area, put your drones up and we need to find this kid or we need to find this elderly person who's walked away that may not remember how to get home and, and that sort of thing. So th those are things that she's doing and active wow, in. that's amazing. She's, she's starting a foundation to um, find missing people and, and she <laughs> definitely does flyers and such. And this is the mother of Skylar? Skylar Tosic, yes. Do you, because I know that there was some um, questions of that they might be related. Do you feel like they were? The cases are not related. Yeah. No. Yeah. There, there, there was no connections. They didn't know anybody yeah. similar. It was just the name that he knew somebody named Elijah. Right. Bear's first name is Elijah. And um, he told his mom he was going to go off with um, two gentlemen. One of them was named Elijah. So she, or one was, one was Eli. And so she connected the two, hoping that we were connected, but we're not. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm friends with her. We communicate often. And that's really yeah. cool. Yeah. And the app is that's awesome. <clears throat> I hope they can get that going for. Correct. Yes. Yeah, that would be great. People. That's mm -hmm. great. Yeah. You know, since we started doing um, our podcast, we got to thinking about how easy it is for somebody just to, to vanish, because we did a couple. Uh, episodes where somebody walks away and just you know right. they never seen again so like you know we we talked about how if somebody like either married or in a relationship and they're kind of straying apart you know they're telling lies to each other they're telling lies to their family right if they go missing we don't know the truth what's really going on where where could they possibly be we don't know and I think a lot of people hit that when when they have a missing person is that there was a story like that or similar and you know maybe they're just out like you said they said they're an adult they can be wherever they want to be and and that is kind of that and that's a really crucial time at the very beginning and it kind of gets swept under the rug all the time right even by the families they're like oh you know they're just you know yeah in some cases families are, are used to so-and-so Taking off for a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Or they're like, back, oh, they're at their sister's house, but then nobody calls the sister. Sister to and confirm. Then, yeah. And so they think yeah. they're there for a week, and then finally the sister's like, oh, have you seen this person? You know? Yeah. Yeah. That happens. I feel like that happens a lot, and that's mm -hmm. an easy way for somebody to go missing and stay missing. My question has always been, how can somebody disappear off the face of this earth mm -hmm. without a trace? Yeah. In, the, in, in this day and age with technology and cameras yeah. everywhere and you know how, how does that even happen even out and, here you know, in the middle of nowhere we live on a reservation and there's not a big population where houses are stacked by each other right <laughs> and we have uh, cameras that are really really high tech that the border patrol use See? in this area yeah so you know like how come we can't use their right. technology just because they're government you know I mean there's cameras everywhere. I mean, yeah. my driveway, there's a camera pointing on my driveway. You know, if I ever go missing, get that camera footage <laughs> because it's, it's from the casino. So, right. you know, and who knows? Everybody has trail cameras out mm. and they have well, see, that home surveillance. I have cameras at my house. Right. I have a doorbell have camera. Here, yeah. 
Yeah. So, you know, that technology has come a long way and it's hard to believe that people just right don't get caught up in that. Well, it's, one thing that we've always said, um, camera wise, uh, Bear's house was loaded with cameras. They were in the driveway, at the front door, in the hallway. I didn't know that. Yes. Wow. But only the roommates and their friends probably figured out eventually that nothing was ever hooked up. It was all for show. Uh-huh. And so if anybody randomly chose Bear's house that night, they would very simply be like, dude, there's cameras. Th- there's everywhere. visible cameras everywhere. Why are we here? Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So that tells me it was somebody who was familiar with the house. Yeah. Somebody who was ballsy enough to go in, who may have gotten a key from a buddy. Yeah. You know, th- there's all kinds of things that point it to a circle of, of people. Um, you you can't yeah not see it you know so yeah so why do you why did bear decide to put like a dummy camera instead of a real camera they were real cameras he just never bought the monitor yeah there was never a monitor or recorder hooked up to them but they were all wired through the whole house and Uh and hooked up to like they were going to go into his bedroom where everything should have been and that was the conversation we had weeks before he went missing was like what do you do with all these wires are we ever going to get the stuff and you know he physically was unable to go into the store by himself um yeah but but it was a conversation that we had let's go ahead and hook this up and you don't have to tell anybody sometimes it's hard though you know like you said he wasn't physically able to do it Maybe he didn't want to burden anybody. Yeah. You know, I have some cameras that aren't hooked up in my house, and I have a million things to do all the time. And, you know, I have to get the ladder out. I have to get the tools out. It's a big deal. So, you know, I get that. I feel that, you know, things go. But also we're, like, the neighbors question, because what if they had cameras outside? We went door to door, and everybody said that's the only house with cameras, and we pointed to Bear's house. (laughs) Yeah, we we canvassed the whole neighborhood. Uh, We did searches through there, through the gully, through um, most of El Cajon. Um, We kind of graded out. I feel like you said that the, the cop told you that he's in Barona. I don't feel that anybody would take him to Barona because he's from there. Why would we right. do that? I, I That's off my list. Right. <laughs> I mean. Well, my, my thought is how in the world do you get from Barona to San Isabel in 20 minutes? Yeah. That's a 45-minute drive for me. Yeah. You know, so it's somebody who knows the road, somebody who's not afraid to drive at 2 a.m., mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it's my whole but, ass. But Bear knew the way, though, right? Then he knew how to get through the Oh, yeah. yeah. He wouldn't have known enough to say, I'm driving. Yeah. You know, he, he, he wouldn't have gone that fast. But he wasn't able to drive anyway. No, he wasn't able to drive. Physically. Yeah, his, his um, the gas foot, the one that would you press, press the gas pedal, that's the one that had the biggest hole. Oh, wow. And so, um, yeah. but with the diabetes, his wounds weren't healing, mm-hmm. and he was seeing a specialist, um... With the neuropathy, he had um, worn shoes without socks all day long and then took them off and there was blisters. Well, when you have blisters and you're diabetic, you're not supposed to do anything. Well, eventually these blisters turned into like the size of half an onion on the bottom of his feet. And so contacting his foot doctor the whole time and she's out of town on like missionary work. And so then you take him to the hospital and the hospital's like, his numbers are ridiculous. We're not opening that. And then um, eventually the, the podiatrist comes back and she takes a look at it 
And she got upset with her staff. She says, I left an emergency number for a reason. This man should have been seen. Yeah. And and they're like, well, we didn't know it was that bad. Well, nobody asked. They just said, the doctor's not here. You know, yeah. if they would have said, is this an emergency situation? I would have said, yes. You know, something needs to be looked at, yeah. if nothing else. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, Anyway, I don't know where I was going. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, that's he wasn't a, able to drive. Yeah, he, he yeah, wasn't he, able to drive. He doesn't drive that fast when he does drive. He no. doesn't drive at 2 a.m. Right. Out of t- I mean, that's... Yeah, that's if he was 100% feeling good, he might have been out. But, but not up that way. Like, it, that yeah. way is... No, he was, he was, he was a Lakeside Oklahoma boy. Yeah. Um, didn't really go anywhere else. Uh I drove him around, and we used to just kind of, like, play a game. We'd come to an intersection, and we going straight left or right, and he would tell me, and we would wind up in weird spots of San Diego that we never even knew existed, <laughs> we do right? We just go for a drive and yeah, see where but we it was, it was yeah. just a way to entertain ourselves and, and you know, spend an afternoon or... People uh, watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Go find some good food or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Food spot. So when the searches that that you did, I'm I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the Maya Malete case yes. that's current. Yes. So we signed up to be a searcher for nice. that as a volunteer. So they send us like text messages. I'll get a text message and it'll say, "Show up here, mm-hmm. register." Was it that kind of thing? Um, we did Facebook for the most part. Um, I, I know that now. People think more than we did, um, or it's just more of a common awareness sort of thing. Mm. People know what to do. You know, six years ago, we didn't know anybody. We were just kind of trying to figure things out as we went. But we would say on Facebook, hey, we're going to search an area. If you want to volunteer, this is the location to meet at. And then we would take down everybody's information, put them in teams, send them out to different areas, and and have them canvas. And when we did Barona, we had them overlap. So like a grid search. Oh yeah, definitely. But in, in Barona, we had them overlap. So we would send a team out over here and send a team over there. When that team came back, we might send them to where the other team was, oh, okay. just to have more eyes in and case they went by something. Yeah, you yeah. never know what you're gonna miss, and so it was just a way to double check a lot of spaces that were possibilities. So. so when you went and searched, you said you did Mesa Grande, San Isabel, Campo, mm-hmm. Julian. Um, so on those oh, reservations, did you contact? Mm-hmm. We got permission. They, yeah. Yeah. And we that was them. simple? Yeah. Um, I don't remember calling Campo. Sorry. Um, but, but it was more the drive-through. You know, yeah. drive through your reservation, check the ends. You know, we definitely yeah. were up and down the 94 a lot. Um but, yeah, connecting to the eight, that was always our thought. You know, where might somebody pull off? Mm-hmm. And then how far are they willing to go? Yeah. Um, not knowing where they're at. <laughs> so I don't know so. if you'll know the answer to this, but his friends, were there any connections with them in Barona or San Isabel with their friends that were interviewed? So any of Bear's friends have, like, family or they go up there often? I, I would say that there is one gentleman that has a connection to both. Yeah. <laughs> so it makes sense that certain people travel up that area. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like I said, you're gonna go where you feel safe, where you're, you know, 
Exactly. You're not going to just... Somebody that would know the road. Take a drive with somebody in the back of your truck or, you know, in the trunk or whatever the case may be, backseat. I don't know how they travel, but how how are you going to even trust to go very far, first of all? Second of all, where are you going to go? You're going to go... Which, where you know, you know you, I know this place back here that nobody ever goes, you know, right? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, these days, there's hardly any places that nobody goes. Somebody goes by there. I, I think, <clears throat> well, well, I, I, yeah, again, my, my theory is someday some hiker is gonna just randomly find a bone, mm-hmm. and then hopefully it'll get reported, and hopefully it'll be tested, and then it'll connect to bear. That, that's my hope, is that it's just going to, you know... We searched hard for two years and found nothing, so... Yeah, so, and people aren't looking for bones when they're out mm-hmm. and about, you know, so they might not know... Human bones have certain shape, though. You know, if you find something, you're going to be like, oh, wait a second, you know, like we did with the pelvis and the spine. Mm-hmm. You know, it was all connected, and you were just like, this is too odd to be, you know, just a random whatever... And it wound up being a deer, according to the sheriff. So, yeah, yeah. that's that's tough. The searches is just did did the um, sheriffs or the law enforcement help with the searches, or that was just you guys doing the searches? You said they did the helicopter search, like they right did after. do their own. I wouldn't say that they plugged in when we did ours, okay. but they they did do um, their own. I had a lady who was connected to Search and Rescue for San Diego County, and she would let me know, hey, I just want to let you know they did send a copter, you know, out to, you know, a certain area, and um, nothing was turned up. So, you know, I, I know that some things were looked at, some things were taken seriously, but um, I just really felt like there was no help. There was no compassion, mm-hmm. yeah. I guess is the word, no... No desire to help you find the next step. Like I said, nobody, nobody knew what to do. They just yeah said he's an adult. He can do what he wants. They did. And if if they found him and he didn't want to be so, reported, then you know they don't have to tell me. So he was never legally handicapped then. No. So that's why you couldn't say he will. He's handicapped. Yeah, he, yeah. My my they theory. My theory that he was disabled and he couldn't drive and he couldn't barely walk. You know that that wasn't enough for the police. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm changing bandages every day, and I'm you know bringing him food and taking him for drives so he doesn't go stir crazy mm-hmm. in his house. Because you know him better than anybody else, right? So and, and so spoke to him that, every day that he he's not disabled. I think the only other thing I would like to reiterate is um, somebody knows something. Somebody drove him away from his home that night. Somebody knows where they dropped him off. Maybe more than one somebody that knows. Mm -hmm. Um, But somebody does know. And we need them to call. They need to call 833-3PURSUE. P-U-R-S-U-E. With any information. Any information. <laughs> yes. And um, the website in pursuetips.com. It's I-N-P-U-R-S-U-I-T-T-I-P-S.com. Do you recommend any other web pages? Um, well, we have a Facebook page. It's um, Bring Bear Dia's Home. The search continues. 
Um, I don't post on there too often, but I do try to keep you know everybody up to date and what I'm doing or where things are going or um, if we have anything going on. I don't know. I have a website to sell t-shirts. We have stickers. We have t-shirts. We have bracelets. We have all kinds of things. Bring Bear Home is a very um, important part of my life and I do everything I can to get the word out. Yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing your story and Bear's story today. We happy to have you here. Thank you. With us. <laughs> Yeah, so we're going to put um, his information, maybe some pictures, a flyer, you know, get it out there. And our Somebody Instagram. knows something, that's yeah. that's for sure. And the family wants closure, so if you know mm-hmm. anything. We need to bring him home and lay him to rest in his land. It's really important. Yep. And we're going to have their information on our Instagram at Native Sisters Podcast and our Facebook at Native Sisters and Podcast website. and our website <laughs> at www.nativesisterspodcast.com and we will see you guys next time. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>